You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today's podcast is sponsored by FastBitcoins.com. FastBitcoins provides a simple way for people to buy Bitcoin directly from their bank account or with cash in physical stores. Their services are rapidly growing in availability across the UK, Estonia, as well as Canada and they're launching in Australia soon too. FastBitcoins is committed to providing high-quality Bitcoin-only services. They want to make sure that the growing number of people interested in buying and benefiting from the possibilities of Bitcoin can do so easily, securely, and with as few distractions as possible. Learn more about FastBitcoins' range of services at fastbitcoins.com, including how you can earn Bitcoin for free through their referral scheme. That is fastbitcoins.com. Fastbitcoins.com. Go check them out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now on today's episode, we have got on uh, health, fitness and nutrition expert. This is P.D. Mangan. He has written several books. He is also the owner of the website Rogue Health and Fitness, and uh, he is a very knowledgeable and very inspirational man. So welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Thanks a lot, Zuby. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you, man. So I've done a real brief intro there. for So for people who may not be familiar with you and your work, uh, tell them a little bit about you. Um, okay. Um I have written a lot about health and fitness. Uh, there's a lot on my website, Rogue Health and Fitness. Uh, I've written a number of books. I kind of lose count, but I think six or seven at this point uh, that are available on Amazon. And I've written some uh, fitness programs and, and other things that I you know sell to outside of Amazon. And I tweet a lot. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think that about sums it up. I, I have... Uh, as I think you'll, you'll, your listeners will, will find out, I have a rather un, unorthodox take on a lot of health and fitness. Yeah. So I want, I'm curious to find out a little bit more about your story. So for some, for some perspective, how, how old are you at the moment? I'm 65. Okay. 
So you are 65. If you're watching the uh, video version, you can see that uh, this, this man does not look 65. If you've seen <laughs> his physique and you've seen him training, you know that he does not look or perform like he is 65. And so I know for people listening to the audio version, yeah, they, they can go on your website and, and check out some of your stuff. But that in itself is extremely inspirational because you are in better shape than most people in their 20s, like to, to, to be quite quite frank. And we're living in a time, we're living in an era where people think that, you know, I know people who are my age, right? I know people who are, who are 30 and are already sort of giving up and talking about, <laughs> talking about how, uh, oh, you know, my, my body, you know, it's different. I'm too old for this. It's different when, when you're my age, et cetera. I've had people tell me that who are, who are younger than me, which is quite funny. And you completely, you know, when I, when some, when I see someone like yourself, I'm like, man, people's excuses aren't really going <laughs> to, people's excuses can't, can't really fly too much here. So you, that hasn't necessarily always been the case for you. So tell us a little bit about your, your story and your, your journey and what it is that led you to get into fitness so much in the past sort of 10 to 15 years where you've really made this big transformation where you're sort of aging in reverse now. How, how have you done that? Uh, okay. Uh, thanks, thanks a lot, Zuby. A lot of, a lot of ni nice stuff you said about me. Um, so yeah, you know, I've I basically been interested in health and fitness for a, a long time. Um, and the thing is, is that, um, so, so let's, let's say by the time I was 20, I, you know, I had an interest, but I've never been an athlete, never played any sports or anything like that. I just wanted to be healthy and fit. Um, the thing is, is that I followed pretty much mainstream advice for so many years. And among them, um, so when I came of age, uh, you know, heart disease was like, you know, a huge issue. Um, it seems less so now, but, um, at, you know, at the time, you know, middle-aged men dropping dead of heart attacks, that sort of thing, people were very aware of it. And I was aware of it. Mm. Um, and I, you know, so one of the things that they always told you was that, uh, saturated fat should be avoided because it causes heart disease. So of course, saturated fat is um, mostly associated with eating meat. So, mm -hmm. you know, this, this has been the message for all along. It still is the message um, from the mainstream. Um, but anyway, when I was also when I was uh, maybe 20, a little older, um, the running craze got going. Okay. So, you know, people started running. Uh, I, I can remember very well the first time I ever saw, you know, the idea that people run for, for fitness. I thought, wow, that's, that's radical. But anyway, eventually I took up running and, um, pursued it pretty, pretty, uh, hard, uh, I, I pursued it a lot. So, yeah. um, to the point where at one time I, I have run a couple of marathons. So 26 miles, right. Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, so it was always a goal of mine to do something like that. Anyway, back to the, the diet aspect of it. Um, so I was trying to avoid all the saturated fat and eat like the mainstream health authorities told us. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, eventually, I became a vegan. Okay. So there I was, a vegan and running marathons. Or, when, you know, sorry, when, when was this? I'm just trying to get a, a sort of time frame. So this would have been um, quite a while ago. So we're talking about maybe the early 90s when okay. I actually did this. Um, to become a vegan. Um, and so I, you know, I did okay for a while, but before too long, 
um, I became ill. And, and eventually, I got a diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome. And that's one of those things that it's like nobody knows what to do about it. I went to all kinds of doctors trying to get help. And nobody could figure out what to do with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and many of them, quite frankly, don't, you know, kind of give up. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, your lab work looks fine. I can't find anything wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this for quite a few years. And I, at some point, I decided that uh, if I was ever going to get over this, that I would have to do my best to figure it out myself yeah. and, and figure out what was wrong. What was it that uh, made you become a vegan at that stage? What was it that led you to that? Was that for nutritional reasons that you thought, or was it more for ethical concerns? I'd say both. Okay. Um, uh, I suppose maybe the the health aspects led the way, and um, then you know once I the, then ethical concerns definitely mm-hmm. took a place there. Okay. I'm curious because, you know, if veganism is quite, is quite trendy now. They're certainly trying to push it very hard. But of course, if, I think, if I think back to the 90s, not that I was super duper old or anything, I don't remember. I remember people being vegetarians here and there, but veganism was, I mean, it's still rare, of course, but it sure. was like, it was very, very rare at that stage. Sure, sure. That's one thing that I, that I don't think is talked about it too much. So I'll just say this as an aside that when you are a vegan, uh, you know, I have some sympathy because you really socially isolate yourself. And that is one of the, you know, one of the big difficulties. One of the things I disliked about it the most, mm. especially after I stopped being one. Um, yeah, because there aren't too many and, and, you know, face it, eating is a big part of who we are and our social life and things we do with others. Mm. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're totally different from everybody else and yeah, it, it makes a big difference in any case, um, back to like, I, I wanted to try to figure out what was going on that if I could figure out something to do with my chronic fatigue syndrome. And eventually I found that, um, veganism and vegetarianism were, I decided it was not the way to go. I started reading and researching, um, all about this. And it was actually uh, kind of shocking at, at the time. I can remember this. This must have been 12, 13 years ago, something like that. Um, it, it was kind of shocking because it was cognitive, cognitive dissonance with everything that I'd been told mm-hmm. uh, all along by mainstream health authorities. But then when you actually start to read the science, you find out that you're, you're given a very the kind of information that comes from media sources or, or mainstream health sources is a very limited picture of what's going on. It's a whole mm-hmm. lot more complicated than they say. What were some of the key things that you found or some of the things that you previously believed, which you found out were incorrect? What were the sort of bombshells that caused that cognitive dissonance? And part of the reason I ask this is because I have also had conversations with vegans, and I have also seen people who say the the polar opposite, right? So you have people who uh-huh. are promoting a plant based diet, and they are talking about how terrible meat is for you, and all of the downsides, and you need to read this study, and you need they've done this research, and you need to look at that science, etc. None of which I have personally been convinced by, and even from a common sense perspective, doesn't 
sort of sit right with me because I'm like, well, I can eat everything that you eat and I can also eat this other stuff that is good for me. So how can that be superior to that? It just doesn't really make sense. Um, but I'm curious, as someone who's really looked into it in more detail, what were some of the problems with that vegan diet that you found? Yeah. So um, let me just first remark on, on just what you just said about vegans talking about, you know, uh, about getting in better health and so on. And it certainly is a real phenomenon. But in my opinion, the reason why vegans get in better health is because they quit eating garbage. Um, so what, what we in the United States call the SAD, the standard American mm -hmm. diet is uh, a pretty pathetic Yes. Uh, menu. And, and so you stop eating that um, and you're doing yourself a lot of good. So in my opinion, that's where most of that comes from. As far as what I found, the first thing, the first thing that I found had to do with protein. And um, I realized that I was getting a very inadequate amount of protein and that this has health consequences, real health consequences. For example, um, our bodies have an, an internal antioxidant system. You hear a lot about dietary antioxidants and everything, but we have our own antioxidant system. And it basically runs on protein. That, that, that would be a good way to put it. You don't get enough protein, this antioxidant system um, is not going to function well. So that was one of the first things I found. By now, there's a whole, a whole list of things, you know, that I've, that I've discovered about mm -hmm. veganism and, and vegetarianism, but that, that was the first thing. Um, so I, you know, I went from there, I stopped, I stopped being mm -hmm. a vegan and I started feeling better pretty quickly. Um, this is, this is another phenomenon that you hear about a lot is, is people who are longtime vegans and they stop being vegan and they start feeling better. Um, you know, apparently a, a very small percentage of people really stick mm -hmm. with it in the oh, long yeah. term. They stop, whether it's for social reasons or whatever reasons, but some of them do quit because their health yeah, is not It's a majority. Good. I can't remember the numbers, but the majority of yeah, people who ever sure. try vegetarianism, let alone veganism, the vast majority do revert back. I, I myself was vegetarian for seven years. From the age of seven up to 14, I was vegetarian. I've never been a vegan, um, but yeah, at 14, I, I went back to eating meat. So I've kind of, I'm, I'd be included in that statistic myself. And if I just think about people I know, I feel like most people I know have at least tried being vegetarian at some point. Um, but, right. uh, you know, and I do know vegetarians, I do know vegans, but most, yeah, most people I know have reverted back. And the vegans that I do know have typically been doing it for a relatively short amount of time, certainly compared to their sort of general life. Right, right. It's true. Yeah. So um, yeah, I jumped in there, but carry on your story. So you no, started eating no. meat again, you started feeling better. What were some of the immediate changes you noticed? Well, more mm -hmm. energy. So that, that's the main thing in, in uh, chronic fatigue syndrome is that you have this feeling of ba basically lethargy 24-7. and there are a few other distinctive features that they, you know, like non-restful sleep. So if you feel really tired, you sleep all night, you get up in the morning, you're mm -hmm. still the same. You still feel tired. Um, 
Another is exercise exertion. So during all this time, I, of course, I had long since stopped running because I couldn't mm-hmm. do it anymore. Um, but I, I thought, well, I need to try and keep as fit as I possibly can. So I would walk okay. every day, at least like a couple of miles. But if I tried to go further than that or go a little bit faster, I would feel the effects mm-hmm. for days. Um, so yeah, having more energy was, you know, def- definitely um, a big, big, big part of it. Um, what happened specifically was that I did start to have more energy. And again, I had thought through a lot of things. Uh, ultimately, by the time I got over chronic fatigue syndrome, I had had it for 11 okay. years. Um, and I had thought of a lot of things. Anyway, when I started getting more energy, I, I did thought, um, you know, I'd like to start lifting weights. It was something that I had wanted to do. I had done it a couple of different times in my life earlier, but I wanted to take it up again. So I did. And I had an old barbell of, you know, stashed underneath my bed and I pulled it out and started using it. And it was tough, but Mm -hmm. I kept at it. And after a month, I thought, hmm, I'm going to need heavier weights. Mm -hmm. So uh, I joined a gym. And so that was 10 years ago when I joined that gym. Um, also when I, when I had had chronic fatigue and I was trying to figure out the answer for me, I had thought that if, um, if I ever did figure out the answer that I would need to write a book about it, or I, I thought that would be a good thing to do. So I did. And that was my first book that was called smash chronic fatigue. And right. So I put that up on Amazon and then you know, and, and then after that was done, I thought, well, what do I do now? I guess I'll keep writing. So I did. And here awesome. I am. And you've written now you said six or six or seven books now you said, right. That's awesome. Yes. So you've got um, a very unorthodox approach to the way that you eat now. So you primarily eat a keto paleo diet. Is that accurate to say? So primarily, so you've gone from plant-based essentially to meat-based. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, okay. that's that's true. Okay. Talk about a 180. Yeah. So your your description okay. of it is is accurate. Um, you know, keto, paleo, mm-hmm. carnivore. Um uh, some of the carnivore advocates basically are talking about doing nothing but eating 100% meat and drinking yeah, yeah. nothing but water, you know. And so I I'm, I'm not okay. I'm not there, you know. Um but it it is mm-hmm. pretty meat centric. And uh, yes, I I believe that the paleo paradigm is a very powerful one. It's a very powerful framework for looking at our health in terms of what human beings, the, the history of human beings, and how we you know we evolved mm-hmm. in a certain environment and with certain um, diet and so on. Um, a lot of in in my view, a lot of our modern health problems derive from failing to understand that and from moving away from you know what our what our ancestors did that kept them in them in good health yeah so when you talk about a paleo diet for people who may not be familiar with the terminology can you describe what that means sure um so it refers basically to the idea that um before the invention of agriculture which was 10, 000, approximately 10,000 years ago, uh, all human beings lived in a state of what we now call uh, being a hunter-gatherer. So hunter-gatherers, now there are very few people on the earth that live that way, but there are a few. Um, and it's exactly what it sounds like. They don't farm. 
they they don't do they they procure their food and their living by going out and hunting by gathering by finding it in the wild um and so up until 10,000 years ago all human beings lived this way um and we live that way for a very very long time so if we look at the history of human beings it it becomes a little arbitrary because of you know what you want to define as human as homo sapiens um but you know our evolutionary lineage goes back quite a ways we're talking about a couple million years at least and we ate in this way so this is in the terms of let's see this is this is one way of looking at it in the terms of a clock um if the if the over 2 million years of human history have been uh the 24 hours of a clock um agriculture mm-hmm. started 8 minutes ago this gives you a sense of perspective. So the idea in in uh, of the paleo framework is to look at what human beings ate and what else they did. Uh, for example, being outside a lot um, over over those over those years of human history and what it mm. means for our health. That that's interesting. I mean, wouldn't a fair point though to make be that when people did start farming and did start with agriculture and all that, that that is when human progress in many ways seem to quite massively accelerate. Um, so what are, what are your sort of thoughts around that? Right. It's, it's absolutely true. So um, as, as human beings developed agriculture, they congregated into cities and they developed what we now mm-hmm. call civilization. Um, so yeah, they're sure. But at what yeah. cost to human health, there's a, a lot of, uh, they're in the fossil record, they find that fossil, that's not the right word, but paleontologists looking at human, mm-hmm. you know, remains and so on have found that before the invention of agriculture, the average male human being, adult male human being was something like five feet, nine inches tall. And that after the advent of agriculture, they were five foot okay. three. And, you know, sim- a similar proportion I, for I thought it was, women, too. I thought it was the opposite. Or am I fast-forwarding too far? No, right. So okay. more recently, since, say, mm. the mid-19th century, okay. yes, people have gotten okay. a lot taller in the developed world. But way back then, you know, say, uh, mm. eight to 10,000 years ago, there was this uh, shrinkage of height and also an increase in all kinds of diseases. Um, most of the, most of the chron- what we think of as chronic diseases are of relatively mm-hmm. recent origin. I mean, so the mm-hmm. Paleolithic people, mm-hmm. the Stone Age people, if you, if you want to call them that, had, they, they suffered from acute diseases, right? So um, they, they, their deaths were from things like accidents, violence, um, infected wounds, um, things mm-hmm. like that. So obviously our death rates from those causes are much less now, but we've traded them for higher death rates sure. in chronic diseases. Um, you know, for example, it, it's, you know, the Paleolithic people, you know, mm-hmm. didn't have heart disease. Um, as far as we know, Wouldn't a no lot of cancer. that simply be because people um, didn't live very long though, as in if they, if they were to have lived until their 70s, 80s, and 90s, then, you know, they almost didn't get a chance. To, I don't know, if we, if we lived in the modern era and most people were dying at 40 or 50, then, again, you wouldn't get many people dying of 
heart disease or cancer, it would be very rare. Right. So um, some of that comes from the the idea of, well, for one thing, infant mortality adds oh, yeah. a huge oh, yeah, yeah. lopsided factor to average death rates, right? So um, if for most of these people, so I, I guess I have to preface this when we're talking about human history, we're talking about a wide range of dates and times and practices sure. and peoples and so on. So, you know, this is, this is what, take what yeah, I say yeah. here. No, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Most, I have, right. It's yeah. just the most general kind of thing. So, but when, if people mm-hmm. back then lived to be, let's say 18 yeah. or 20 years old, they had a very good chance yeah, of sure, living yeah. to the no, age I, of I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm aware of that. Right. I guess with, with me, I, I guess I always have a, I'm aware of how much that exists sort of in our modern era and even in the past sort of 100 or 200 years ago that we just don't know or that there's a lot of misinformation about sure. that whenever i hear anyone like not not just yourself but whenever someone is sort of telling me what people died of 10,000 years ago or 100,000 years ago i'm like i'm naturally skeptical cuz i'm a bit like well how do you how do you know like we don't even know what happened 100 years ago in in many cases so how would you know? I don't even, I'm obviously not a paleontologist, but I don't know how you would even look at some fragments of bone or something and be like, okay, this guy died of, uh, I don't know, melanoma or this guy, or this guy died. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, right. there's, there might be an answer. Right. There might be an answer, but I just don't, I don't right. know how people would reach some of those conclusions myself. I'm just a bit skeptical. Yeah. Right. Well, the, yes, it, it is a science. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a paleontologist either. So I, you know, yeah, I, sure. I read about this stuff and, you know, yeah, sure. Uh, p- applying a skeptical lens is all, you know, very good. Yeah. Very good to do. Um, you know, other things like, I mean, if they find a skull that's oh, had yeah, a hole smashed in it, yeah. They, they have a, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. They, yeah, yeah. they have a good idea of what yeah, this no, person I, I get those from. ones, you know, if you've got like you know, a broken skull or something, it's fair to say, yeah, you went on a hunt or you, you annoyed right. the wrong person and you got bashed on the head. It's like, I get those ones, but, um, right. Right. Uh, so you've, you've probably, uh, you know, you've heard about the ice man rings. Um, bell. so the, the ice man, this is not that far back. So the okay. ice man is 5,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So this, this is within the era of agriculture, but uh, basically a body found in the Alps. This was about 25 years ago. They found this at the time and, and he had remained frozen this whole time because it was at 10,000 feet. Mm. And even at the time, they thought maybe it was a missing hiker or something like that. Um, so they, they recovered this body and... Um, now you know they've done extensive research. Uh, um, it's in a museum in, I guess, I guess there, there was this border dispute. I think it's in Italy now, okay. not Austria. In any case, they found out tons of stuff about how this man lived, how he died. Even he was killed, um, you know, deliberately. Okay. Uh, had an arrow in him, um, and you know, all kinds of other stuff how he, how he made his weapons, you know, carrying a copper ax and so on and so forth. Mm So, you know, definitely a science there. I suppose this is a very, you know, prime example because, you know, a very, you know, very well-preserved man there um, that they were, they were able to examine and get all this. 
Yeah, no, no, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm I I don't want to get too lost in the weeds regarding the the history because okay. I don't think that's um. I think what's more interesting to me about the paleo diet, when it comes to any diet, I think the sort of reality of it is more important than the history. You know, if it's like, okay, well, cavemen ate this way or whatever, I'm kind of, in one way, it's like kind of interesting. But I think what matters more is, okay, what are the, what are the potential benefits of this versus the potential downsides of other types of diet? So when you sort of started eating more in this way, um, we've, I guess you've already talked about just going from being a vegan to back to eating meat. And then when you went from that towards a more sort of paleo approach, so I guess that essentially means eliminating grains and dairy. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I still eat dairy okay. and, you know, that that's another discussion. But yes, it was eliminating grains. Okay eliminating sugar. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, el eliminating a lot of, uh, basically products of agriculture that, um, you know, that, that human beings would not have eaten until, you know, More approximately 10,000 years ago. Yeah. And what's the, what's the problem with grains and sugar? Well, um, in many people, there, there are very, there are various problems, various levels of problems. Um, as far as grains go, so a lot of people will say, well, people have been eating grains for 10,000 years, right? Since the invention of agriculture mm -hmm. and they didn't have any problems. Well, I would say, yes, they did have problems. Like, like for example, what I mentioned a little bit ago about their height shrinking over the space of a couple thousand years um, and the health problems increasing. So eating grains is not optimal. Um, and but what's happened is there's been a sort of a second. Um, so the agricultural revolution happened 10,000 years ago, roughly. There's been sort of a second revolution that occurred that started only about 120, 150 years ago. And that is the year of industrial food. Mm -hmm. So uh, white flour, for example, was uh, developed about 150 years ago. A lot of this stuff happened because of, of the invention and development of large, you know, industrial milling machinery and this kind of thing, right? Yeah. Mass produced food. So they were able to, to make white flour, um, sugar then. So you asked me what is wrong with sugar. I'm, I'm kind of going all over the place here, but that's yeah, all good, man. No, don't worry. Don't worry. So yes, there are small amounts of sugar in, in natural foods sure. in, in fruit, for example, mm -hmm. um, and in some other foods, um, but they wouldn't have been encountered in the wild very much. Um, but what happened was then several hundred years ago, people figured out how to extract sugar from foods. And at the time, you know, it was very expensive, but after a while it became cheaper and cheaper and people started using more of it. Mm -hmm. So for example, a couple hundred years ago, um, people in the United States ate a few pounds of sugar a year. Sure. And now it's something like 120 pounds, wow. you know, so as, as I, as someone said, uh, Quantity has a quality all its own. Oh, yeah. um, you know, so if you're eating that much sugar, um, no matter how benign it is in, in small amounts, mm -hmm. that's that's going to have repercussions. The other industrial food that they developed in the late 19th, early 20th century was seed oils, commonly known as vegetable oils. Mm -hmm. So we have these three things: the seed oils, the sugar, and the refined grains, and these are used 
to make really the vast majority of the food that people eat now. Mm -hmm. um, and these are what what is the term of art is ultra processed food, the stuff that comes in boxes and bags and with brand names on it. Mm -hmm. um, and people eat a tremendous amount of this stuff. And then so we have all these health problems you know, obesity, diabetes, yeah. heart disease, cancer, and so on. Can you, can you go into, on each of those three things, can you go into more detail about what the specific detriments um, that, that there are with each one? Because most people are going to be listening to this and thinking, well, what's wrong with, you know, I think most people can understand that eating 120 pounds of sugar in a year is not a particular is not a good idea on multiple levels, even just for your your teeth. Um, but right. when something like seed oils or refined grains, right, people might have a sort of gist as to think, okay, there. It seems like something that's ultra refined might not be as good as something that's less refined. I feel like there's some sort of intuitive feeling there. But specifically in terms of your your body and how it reacts to these foods, what is specifically wrong with vegetable oil? What is specifically wrong with um, some processed sugar or refined carbohydrates? Okay, okay, sure. Um, well, so I'll start uh, refined grains. Okay. Um, that that car. So refined grains are largely made up of carbohydrates, mm -hmm. and carbohydrates are in turn made up largely of glucose. So glucose is a sugar molecule. It is the same glucose, the same sugar that's found in our bloodstream. Uh, and we uh, human beings want to keep this glucose in our bloodstream within a very narrow range for health. Mm -hmm. uh, if it goes outside of that range, either above or below, um, you can be in serious trouble. And these days, most of the problem is going above, way above. Mm -hmm. That's what uh, the epidemic of obesity and and uh, and diabetes is doing. Mm -hmm. So, when you ingest a lot of refined grains, you are flooding your system with glucose. Okay, because that's what it is. It break when you digest it, it breaks down. It's glucose, mm -hmm. um, and so your body has to deal with this um, by secreting a lot of various hormones like insulin mm -hmm. to deal with it. Maybe more to the point. Um, so if you were, if you were just perfectly healthy, um, that might not matter that much. If you had grains as a part of your diet, you know, people have been eating bread for thousands of years, yeah, for yeah. example, might not be optimal, but Hey, you know, how, how bad can it be? You know, you might be asking <laughs> yourself, right. Sure. But what, but what, what's happened in, in, the modern world is we seem to have this perfect storm of all these ingredients put together. And, and I, I will touch on those other ingredients too, but we have this, all, all these put together and people become obese and, and when they do their health suffers and they are less able to regulate their blood sugar level, for mm -hmm. example. And that has very serious consequences for disease. It ba basically, to my mind, this, this dysregulation of blood sugar and the various hormones that go with it are at the root of most modern chronic disease okay. of all kinds. But it, okay, so sorry to jump in there. So in terms of obesity, though, I mean, again, there's the quantity versus quality thing. So I know certainly for myself and most people out there, 
you know, I I know you're not a, a calorie counter. Um, I I'm I more am, and I find regardless of what I eat, if my calories are exceeding, my consumption is exceeding what I'm burning, then whether I'm eating eating clean or not, I'm gonna gain weight and vice versa. Like I I could be eating trash. I could be living off protein bars and cereal, but I can I can cut on protein bars and cereal provided that. <laughs> You know, I, I know it's, I won't feel brilliant, but provided my calories are in a deficit, right. uh, then I can do that. And it seems that, so if I look at a country like the USA or I look at the UK, yeah, sure, people are eating, the actual diets they're eating are, are not optimal in many ways nutritionally, but it, a lot of it seems to just be the sheer quantity, right? It's the sheer volume. It's not the, it doesn't seem to me the fact that someone is eating potato and pasta and bread, et cetera, but that the amounts of it they're eating plus the amounts of everything else they're eating and drinking is so much that that is what is causing the obesity. Um, I don't know if that is your take or if you feel it's more that the specific foods themselves, um, but I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are around that. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. If you if you start delving into this topic, you just find some wildly divergent views yes. about what is going on. Mm. Um, so, I think to put it at its simplest, you know, to to address your quest, your direct question about calories and so on, mm. and you count calories and you cut and you you do great. So the question is, why were was everybody able to maintain a normal weight up until relatively recently mm-hmm. without counting calories? Mm. Um, nobody did. In fact, until 100 years, uh, 150 years ago, nobody even knew what a calorie was. Mm-hmm. So until relatively recently, again, uh, you know, obesity was relatively rare. Yes. Um, so in my view, what is going on? Well, there, there are several things going on, mm-hmm. but perhaps the main thing in regard to quantity is that we're eating foods that do not satisfy our appetite. Sure, and that make us hungrier, um, and and they are lacking specifically lacking in protein. Mm-hmm. So um, we ha- human beings have a strong appetite for protein. Mm-hmm. We will eat until we get enough. And if we're eating a food that has less protein, we mm-hmm. will keep eating it until we've satisfied that that protein okay. requirement. Got, gotcha. So it may have less to do with carbohydrates in themselves mm-hmm. than the fact that a high carbohydrate food doesn't have much protein in it by definition. Gotcha. So so you're eating so to get the same amount of protein, the overall amount of calories that your body is willing to consume in general is ends up being much, much higher, essentially, just to get the same amount of protein you get from a more protein-dense diet. Right. And, you know, there there are other aspects. I wouldn't want to say this is, you know, this is it. This yeah, is, sure. This is a theory of obesity, end yeah. of story. Um, but, for you know, for example, a lot of these ultra-processed foods that I was talking about, they, they are produced by mm-hmm. huge corporations. They have teams of scientists and engineers that are dedicated to making sure that that food is the tastiest thing you ever ate, Mm -hmm. that you will keep coming back for more. (laughs) I mean, that's how they make money. And these are very smart people. Mm -hmm. That's who you're up against. Uh, You know, so there's that that issue uh, of the, you know, the food being just so 
incredible that you you just you just want more of it and sure. more of it. So there's your quantity mm-hmm. thing right there. It's it's it it overrides our appetite. Yeah. That may that probably dovetails in some way with the the protein bit that I was just discussing. Mm-hmm. So um something has happened recently that has made people dysregulate their appetites. Okay. To, and and put on all this weight. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I, I think I think that there are it's it's clearly a multifaceted issue. Um I guess the you 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 yourself don't do this, but there are people who say things like calories don't matter. You know, it's purely the type of foods you're eating. And I'm like, no, that doesn't that doesn't even you know, logically, even just understanding, you know, kind of biochemistry, I'm like, how does that, how does that, that doesn't make sense, right? I could eat, I could eat a clean diet, right? But if I'm eating, yeah, sure, it's harder, it's going to be harder for me to overeat if I'm eating in a, in a certain way. Right. But the idea that I couldn't, I mean, especially if you allowed me to eat, I don't know, nuts, for example, right? Like, <laughs> I can assure you, I could very easily Overconsume on certain foods if I, you know, if I if I wasn't paying attention. Um, so I just I just find it weird. And people do this with a lot of things. Like right? you've got a multivariate issue, and they try to totally bring it down to one thing and say that no, you know, there might be five big factors, and they're like, no, it's just this one. And I'm like, no, but it's not. I'm not saying that one doesn't matter, and I can totally see how the food has been engineered and filled up with glucose syrup and refined sugar and refined flour and like all of this, you know, salt and a certain amount of sugar and fat and everything to make it so tasty. I I understand all of that. But at the same time, I eat a lot of that stuff. (laughs) And Uh, as long as I am within reason, right, if if I go crazy on it, then yeah, sure, I'm going to blow up. But within reason, it's not like, eating a little bit of that sort of undoes everything else. But if you're, if 80% of your diet consists of that, you are very likely to overeat. But I, again, I think it comes down to it's the overeating that is going to cause the, the weight gain. Even, yes, I agree that you're going to be way more likely to overeat if you are eating st- stuff that is just very refined and processed and not satiated because right. you're going to be hungry again in two hours. And again, like you said, it's just so tasty that you want more, right? What's the Pringle, what's the Pringle saying? Once you pop, you can't stop. It's like, yeah, they had a team of engineers to sit there, <laughs> to sit right. there and, and work <laughs> yeah. out exactly how to make that formula. So it's like, yeah, right. I, I get it. Um, you know, I, I right. understand that. Uh, here, here, here's, well, yes, I, you know, I wouldn't want to oversimplify or anything, just yeah. like you say, people say it's just one thing or whatever. But isn't it strange that this really happened all of a sudden. I mean, in, in historical terms, the obesity e- epidemic is brand new, mm. um, starting in about 1980. Mm. So, what about lifestyle, though? Surely that's a big factor. Um, wh- well, yes, life. You know, lifestyle yeah. uh, certainly, as far as our lifestyle, if including food. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, as far as if you if you're talking about exercise mm-hmm. and so on, people exercise now more than ever. Um, as, as far as, uh, you know, no, they, you know, physical activity, of course, mm-hmm. people are more working in offices rather yeah. than on farms, yeah. obviously. Oh no. Yeah. Um, I guess I mean, overall physical activity. Yeah, sure. More, I'm sure more people go to the gym now than ever did in history, but right. you didn't need to go to the gym before because you are going to the gym just by going to, by going to work. 
Uh, right. You know, I say this, for example, I, I live in the UK and where I live, I end up walking quite a lot sort of naturally. Um, but for example, uh, I was in the US September to November last year. And depending on what city I was in, because my phone tracks my steps. And in some cities, right, when I was in New York City, I was hitting 15 to 20,000 steps a day with minimal effort, just by going from place to place, riding the subway, walking between places. I was doing that. When I was in Dallas, Texas, where you can't walk anywhere, <laughs> like you, you have right. to drive everywhere and it's so hot that you don't even want to walk. I was like, if I didn't go out of my way to walk a lot, I was having days where I could hit like just 2000, 2000 or 3000 steps. And I was like, man, if people, and then the food was, we already know about the food in Texas. You know, it was very difficult to find vegetables. <laughs> and right. it, I was just like, man, this is, this is really not healthy. Like if, if someone were to live like this, like day in, day out, both on the food side, but then also on the activity side, like you'd have to really, really put in an effort to go out of your way. So I just think with people just sitting, you know, wake up, sit in a car or sit on, you know, sit in a car and then get to an office and sit and then come home, sit in your car again, sit at home in front of the TV, sit on your, sit, watch, look at the computer, look at your phone and sleep again. It's like, you're literally on your butt all day long, all night long. And again, that surely seems to be a, a big factor as well. It's like both of those things happened at the same time. So just as the food got worse in this sense, uh, the amount of percentage of people who are just sedentary also would have gone way up as well. Right. I, I don't know the balance of those factors, but it seems like it would be both. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately in the United States, if you don't have a car, you can't go anywhere. It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's bad. Yeah. It's something that I, I dislike definitely. Okay. Uh, the way, the way the cities are built and the way people live. Mm. Um, so yeah, unfortunately true. Um, as far as when did this all start? Um, you know, pe people have been moving indoors, so to speak for a while now. I mean, uh, you know, a couple hundred years ago, uh, in the United States, 90% of the people were farmers of some sort, lived on a farm. Yeah. And as we all know, that's hard work. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, but that's been declining ever since. Um, so, you know, whether there was some kind of a bump in the 1970s, 1980 and sedentary behavior, well, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Sure. Um, I, I suspect that it was just a continuation of a long trend, mm. but Here's another thing. There have been scientific studies of the amount of energy that hunter-gatherer tribes in the modern world expend. Okay. And with comparison with Western values, Western, Western values for energy expenditure. Mm -hmm. And they find that it's not any different. So while, while these hunter-gatherer peoples will spend several hours a day exerting themselves hard for mm -hmm, sure. Mm -hmm. But when they're not exerting themselves hard, they do their best to just sit around. Sure. Uh, you know, it's, it's not an, not an easy life. They, they want to conserve their energy. Yeah, of course. There's another, there's another, uh, another, this is, this is actually well known in, if you look into it, but most people don't know this if they think the opposite and that is exercise in and of itself without dietary changes is 
very ineffective for weight loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are several reasons for that. You know, one is exercise makes you hungry, mm-hmm. so you want to eat. And another reason is is that it's real easy to take in more calories than you've burned. Very easy, mm-hmm. unless you're really watching it closely. And and a, yet a third reason is you don't even expend that as much energy on exercise as you might think. No. Unless you're going really, really hard yeah. for a long yeah. time. I mean, yeah. pe- people go into and spend their hour on the elliptical or something, and they, maybe they burn 300 calories mm-hmm. or you know, some figure like that. And then they go reward themselves with a Frappuccino that has 450 <laughs> calories. And there you yeah. go. So um, all, all of those things that I just mentioned argue against the idea that physical activity or exercise played an important role mm-hmm. in the rise uh, of obesity. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't dismiss it altogether. Certainly, like you say, if you're in New York City doing 15,000 steps a day, just in the course of living day to day, that's going to keep you in better shape. But then again, I suppose, you know, it depends on what you eat, mm-hmm. too, because you, you know, if you go out, then, then if you come home and eat a large pizza sure. by yourself, you know, there you go. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also the factor, I mean, this is less, um, this is harder to quantify, but I know certainly from personal experience that when I am more active, when I am exercising more, the foods that I desire tend to be more healthy or like people who do train, people who do exercise, people who do lift weights, the foods that you're drawn to tend to be more wholesome and more nutritious, even, even though that's perhaps when you probably could more get away with more of those bad foods, you seem to be, it's almost like they, they seem to go hand in hand. I don't know the exact mechanism there, but if you have a week where you're just kind of sitting around and for whatever reason, you're not exercising much and whatever, you are drawn to more of those snack foods and comfort foods and stuff that's actually at that moment, you really, really should not be eating. Um, but so I, I don't know, I don't know why that is, but it's something I've certainly noticed for myself and I've heard other people sort of say the same thing. Yeah, I I, I would I don't know either. I would suspect that it's psychological mm-hmm. in the sense that you're getting healthy, so you want to stay healthy and yeah. so you you want to eat the eat the clean stuff. I think that when people people like yourself and 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 me, you know, we want to stay in shape and so on and we we train uh relatively hard, certainly a lot harder than most people are doing for exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, we often get into a kind of a bubble as as to, you know, who, what we think about and, and how we look at things. Mm -hmm. Most people are just not like that. And, uh, you know, for example, you you know, I, I see people who, um, you know, are are trainers, physical trainers for a living Mm -hmm. or, or they coach people or something like that. And, you know, insist that, uh, hey, you know, some sugar isn't going to kill you, and you know it's okay if you're healthy and training and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I I don't really have any argument against that uh, because it's more or less true. But mm-hmm. most people just aren't training yeah. all the time. They're not. They're not. Um, you know, they're not spending uh, time in the gym. Um, you know, I mean, somebody who's really trying to be a top athlete is training hard every day. Mm-hmm. 
uh, they can get away with a lot. Yes. I mean, there are these stories about what the swimmer, Michael Phelps, yeah. was eating at you know, one time, 12,000 calories or something a day. Yeah. I don't know if that was true, but... It wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. He, I, he was, he, I can't remember how many miles a, miles a day he was swimming, but yeah, just you do the math. It's like, yeah, you would need like 8,000, 9,000 calories just to do that. And you're not going to get that from chicken breast and salad. Right, right. But see, the average person is is not like that at all. Um, in the United States, nearly 90% of people have some, co- some sort of metabolic dysfunction, which indicates you know a health problem. Wow, 90, 90% that, you said. That's correct. Whoa, um, that's disturbing. Yeah, that. um, because it's not just people who are overweight or obese, but you know there's the skinny fat phenomenon. Mm. Um, so a lot of people are like that. You have to add them all in basically high body fat mm-hmm. we're talking about. And so it's a huge number of people. Um, you, you know, I've, I've had many, many times people have asked me, well, can I eat carbohydrates? And um, because, you know, generally, uh, you know, my, my public <laughs> viewpoint is, you know, you don't, you don't need them, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. forget it. Yeah. But they say, well, can I eat carbohydrates? So, so my answer is, if you are lean, you are healthy. And if you exercise regularly, Go ahead. Yeah. Um, if none of if if any one of those three do not apply to you, mm. then you should cut back. But okay. see, that's the case for for most people that they could. Yeah. And what and what about I mean, what about carbohydrates that are not refined? So we've talked about things like ultra ultra processed white flour or sugar. Yeah, like most people know. Okay, that's not great. But what about? Um, what about rice, potatoes, sweet potatoes, uh, oatmeal, more sort of natural, you know, less processed forms of carbohydrates, which take longer to digest, et cetera. What are your thoughts on those? Well, so there are a couple of different things you, uh, you mentioned in your sort in, in, in the type of carbohydrates okay. you, you were just talking about. So one is grains. Mm. So like whole grains, for example, and they seem to offer little advantage over refined grains. Mm-hmm. So, for example, whole wheat flour or I don't know what else, uh, you know, whole grain cereals mm-hmm. or something like that. Very little advantage. They don't offer any health advantage, no offer, no, no uh, advantage in control of body weight. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's some of these other things you mentioned, like potatoes and sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, so sweet potatoes are, you often see that that's the paleo eaters carbohydrate of choice, sure. basically. Um, and you know, I'm not going to say they're bad for you. They're, they're a concentrated source of carbohydrates and, mm-hmm. and of calories. Mm-hmm. Potatoes have a little more, they'll spike your, uh, your glucose and your insulin, sure. um, a little bit more than sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. If I if if I were you know made to choose, I would choose those those latter sources, okay. potatoes and sweet potatoes over grains. Sure, grains also have you know I, you obviously have you know know uh, know of or have heard about all the gluten stuff. Sure, right, gluten sensitivity. So this is that also gluten seems is a protein. Beg your pardon. I was I was saying that also seems relatively new as well people being right. suddenly sensitive to, you know, it seems right. like everyone became gluten intolerant three minutes ago. And I was like, that's, that's new. Right. And a lot of it might be new in mm. be due to the, you know, particular combinations of things or the, or even the varieties of wheat. It's really, it seems quite fashionable. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> sure. Um, 
but in any case, uh, gluten is in grains and sure. it's not in potatoes and so on. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And what about um, so moving on then to seed oils? So on Twitter, especially you, you there does seem to be a lot of people who rail against seed oils a lot, but very few people ever seem to explain why. They just sort of say, "Stay away from seed oils. Don't eat seed oils. Seed oils are bad for you." But I I don't see a lot of reasoning behind the the thoughts. So what what specifically? Firstly, what are seed oils? And secondly, what's the problem with them? Given how uh, commonplace they are. Yeah, great question because this, this is just such an un- underappreciated topic. Um, seed oils are what most people know as vegetable oils. So there are things like corn oil, soybean oil, um, safflower oil, canola oil, um, and there there are many others. Mm-hmm. Um, cottonseed oil, even. So the, these oils were basically not any significant part of the human diet until about 120 years ago. Mm. And then they've rapidly become part of our diet to the extent that um, really a huge number of calories, in, 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 at least in the modern United States, consist of these because they're in all these ultra-processed foods and people are eating these like crazy yeah. fast foods and then the packaged stuff from from the supermarket. Mm-hmm. So what is wrong with them? Um, in a nutshell, they are made from polyunsaturated fats. And these are fats that you know are chemically very easily oxidizable. In other words, just in the in the most basic of terms, they spoil readily. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you can tell or you know they don't spoil in the sense of bacteria growing on them, but they, they oxidize and they oxidize even more so when you cook with them. Um, and these polyunsaturated fats, when they oxidize, they react with various other, other chemicals and molecules, including the, the molecules that make up our body. Okay. Um, so they are implicated in all kinds of diseases heart disease and cancer and so on, but it's still very, um, like I say, underappreciated. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, because the the common knowledge there and even the guidance from a lot of governments seems to be that, oh no, you want to get polyunsaturated fats and you want to stay away from saturated fats. Saturated fat is the problem. Saturated fat is behind cancer. Saturated fat is behind heart disease. You know, the vegans will say the same thing. So this is why I'm extremely curious about this particular one, because when it comes to fats, the the guidance seems to be quite literally the polar opposites. There are people saying, stay away from coconut oil, stay away from butter, stay away from animal fats, stay away from red meat. And then you've got the complete opposite, <laughs> where it's stay away from seed oil, right. stay away from vegetables. And it's like, wait, okay, how... There, there's no, there seems to be no consensus here whatsoever. So I'm, I'm really, really curious. Right. So saturated fat, you know, that that's in that's in meat, eggs, other animal products, mm-hmm. butter, and other dairy, and so on. This is something that human beings have been eating for literally two, three million years, mm-hmm. and um, we never had heart disease until basically now. Uh, on that time scale. Mm -hmm. So saturated fat is perfectly healthy. In fact, if you eat carbohydrates, 
and you it's, you also it's an excess energy of carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. What does your body do with them? It makes saturated fat out of them mm-hmm. and puts it into your fat cells. Mm-hmm. So this is your body's natural way of 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 handling energy storage mm-hmm. is with saturated okay. fat, and that's why animals have them because that's how they do it too. Sure. So um, saturated fats are very um, non-reactive chemically compared to polyunsaturated fats. Okay. So we, we are designed, you know, we do have a small amount of polyunsaturated fat in our body and a small amount of polyunsaturated fat is, is a nutritional requirement, Sure. but it's very small. So, um, we are, we are just flooding ourselves with this easily oxidizable fat, Mm -hmm. um, that we are, we are not meant to have a lot of in in terms of what is natural, what, you know, what we are naturally supposed to have. Yeah. These, these polyunsaturated fats and seed oils. So let me, let me back up a little bit. Okay. Right. You look at things like corn oil, right? Sure. So how, how, how the hell do they get oil out of a corn on a cob? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, on its face, you think that, that seems pretty difficult. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look like there's a lot of oil in there to me. And yeah. in fact, Human beings never did that before mm-hmm. until they until they developed this you know milling machinery and these industrial processes to get the oil out of it in mass quantity. Mm-hmm. We we just basically hardly ingested any of it in 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 the course of our human history, and now we ingest lots of it. A lot of it has to do with, um, and and again, you can stop me here a bit, get into a little chemistry, but there's no no please omega- do. Omega six fat fatty acids versus omega three fatty acids. Mm-hmm. So these are both types of polyunsaturated fatty acids. Omega three fatty acids are generally the kind associated with good health. So, for example, they are in fish mm-hmm. in large quantities, mm-hmm. and there are associations that show eating a lot of fish is very good for you, very heart healthy, and so on. Um, omega six fatty acids are the kind that are in seed oils, and of course you. You you know I mean they, they are swamping the input from omega three fatty acids. Okay. It's thought that in the course of our human history that most human beings ate food in such a way that the polyunsaturated fats in them omega six versus omega three may have been about one to one. And with the advent of seed oils, we get up to ratios of fifteen to one, twenty to one. Mm-hmm. I've even seen 50 to one mentioned. So it just swamps. These omega-6 fats are very inflammatory. They produce inflammatory chemicals in our body, the cytokines, eicosanoids, and so on. Inflammation, you know, is involved in chronic disease and in aging. So Mm -hmm. that that's that's the basic story in a nutshell about seed oils. So I guess two questions here. Number one. Why has this been sold to the masses of people? Why has this been sold to millions and billions of people for so long? Is this purely due to profit motives from certain industries and subsidies and things like that? Or is it because they just had and still have the wrong information? Because one of those is a much more charitable explanation than the other, right? The latter is, okay, you just had the wrong information. The former is, oh, wow, okay, you're intentionally, for the pursuit of profit and finances, you're 
let me let me put it frank you're almost sort of poisoning your own population with these guidelines because i mean i'm not i'm not super duper old but i remember in school i remember the food pyramid right i know what the nutritional guidelines look like i know they're telling me okay saturated fat you do not want to get more than you know 10 or 20 10 to 20 grams per day uh unsaturated fat you know the requirement is and it's a requirement right it's not even a recommendation it's uh <laughs> it's uh the num the numbers don't really add up and if you look at what's on i mean fats that are high in polyunsaturated fat they will put that on the label as as a good thing right they will say high in polyunsaturates low in saturates right and people are looking for that low in in saturated fat label if you took a food and you labeled it high in saturated fat everyone's going to avoid it right there's there's no food label that says high in saturated fat low in unsaturated fat so why why is that what's what's going on there so in my view it's both of those reasons that you mentioned um back when these oils were first developed so uh first first uh trans fat that was marketed was crisco and that was about 1910 okay and th this was this is a vegetable fat crisco is an acronym for uh something something uh cotton seed oil okay so they had all all these cotton seeds laying around it was a waste product hey what can we do with them oh, i know let's extract the oil and make crisco mm. and so they did and then they convinced people that this was a better alternative at the time probably not so much health as cheaper okay. and um more readily storable mm -hmm. um that's the thing about vegetable oils seed oils uh and and sat and uh hydrogenated oils like crisco is they can sit on the shelf with without being refrigerated okay so that was the rise of these vegetable oils and they rapidly gained a market share people liked them and so on and then the second thing was the rise of the cholesterol hypothesis of heart mm -hmm. disease mm -hmm. in in basically in the 1950s mm -hmm. this was the idea that eating a bunch of saturated fat is going to raise your cholesterol and it's going to give you coronary artery disease and kill you yes and this was despite a lot of dissenting voices at the time this was over the coming couple of decades adopted and it's official as official dogma of the US government and not just a few years later of the UK government mm -hmm. um and so this dogma despite massive evidence against it is is still really official dogma we're seeing a few little changes around the edges um but this is still you know widespread belief both among academics and doctors yeah. and the 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 public yes so this is what they believe and so both of these factors the the the, the cheapness of vegetable oil and the fact that we're used to using it mm -hmm. i mean everybody's been using it for decades now even longer yeah and and the demonization of saturated fat and the official dogma you, you know you put all that together and you know nobody bats an eye at using this stuff yeah i mean is are there is there any truth to some of the issues and problems people claim with saturated fat or is it in your mind is it is it totally bunk is it just one in my mind yeah. it is complete bunk yeah um it there have been uh studies published over the last decade where they've analyzed um they found that that there is no association of eating saturated fat with coronary artery disease yeah. which was the main strike against it mm-hmm 
from way back. Mm-hmm. There also has been some very interesting studies, a couple of them, where they've taken older data from. So there, there have been a number of studies where they said, hey, let's take this group of people and remove the saturated fat from their diet and give them vegetable oils yes. instead and see what happens. You know, then, then they'll stop having heart attacks and all this. And they've gone back and reanalyzed this data and they find that people die at a much higher rate when they're eating less saturated fat and consuming these seed oils. I mean, it, it wasn't even a small difference. Yeah. It, it was, and some of this stuff, uh, the, the Minnesota study, I believe, um, was, was basically the results were buried at the time wow. because of this. It, it didn't, they didn't get the results they wanted. Yeah. People were dying at a higher rate with the vegetable oils. Mm. And so, uh, you know, recently some, some modern researchers have gone back grabbed all this old data and reanalyzed it and found this. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's weird. It's like, this is the problem because people say, trust the data, trust the science, right? Trust the science, trust the scientists, trust the data. They say out on everything. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Well, hopefully towards the end, uh, people have been saying that trust the science, trust the experts, trust the models, trust the data. People say it in nutrition, trust the science, trust the data. People say it in a lot of different things, you know, in the media, trust the media, trust the news. And all of them are, it's, it's weird. You end up in this position where you're like, who or what can I even trust, right? In my own lifetime, the amount of lies I've seen peddled in all of these different industries, and it's coming from science. You know, these are, these are research papers coming out. These are, these are papers, these are documents, et cetera. And it seems like there is a document and there are, there are sets of documents that whatever you wanted to argue, you can find, (laughs) you, you can find data, you can find papers that back it up, right? If I, if I have on my podcast, a vegan, and they're telling me about the evils of animal fats, the evils of saturated fat, why red meat is terrible, et cetera, they will be able to point me to studies that are backing up what they're saying. If I bring on a carnivore, they'll have studies <laughs> that are backing up what they're saying. And you reach that stage where you're kind of like, what, what, do you, uh, what do you trust? How do you know? How can you verify without, sure, you can be, use yourself as a guinea pig. Um, even that will be difficult because you don't have a control. <laughs> so so th- this is the thing. Right. And um, I don't know, like I'm, uh, when it comes to my own personal nutrition, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm very moderate in my, people are always, people are always surprised by how moderated my nutritional views are. They always, they're like, I've had people ask me, uh, which one do you do plant-based or keto? I've had people ask me that question. I'm like, are these the only two, (laughs) are are these the only two (laughs) options? I mean, you know, like I, I'm an omnivore, (laughs) like I, I eat, I don't cut out, I don't entirely cut out any, any whole food group. I eat sugars. I eat, uh, I eat starch, I eat meat, I eat plants, I have seed oils, I have saturated fat. Like I, within reason, like I don't go crazy on, on anything, but within reason, I, I consume some of everything. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, in a way, it feels like a shame. You know, it feels like a shame. And I, I, I remember well, I remember being in school. I remember learning the food pyramid. You want to have 10 to 12 servings of, car- of starch per day. You want to have two to three servings of meat, two to three servings of dairy, one to two servings of uh, sugar and oil, and, you know, four to five servings of fruit and vegetables. I, I, that was just how it was. It was on, if you looked on the back of a cereal box, the pyramid was there. It was in the school. It was everywhere. Like it was, 
this has been drilled into people for so many decades now that to say, no, that's wrong, right? Is you know, <laughs> like, like that, that that's wrong. Like that that thing at the bottom, that's the one you want to minimize, and that one there, you want to double that one, and you want to, and it's just like. I don't know, like people will be listening to this and just thinking, man, that, that contradicts what I heard two weeks ago. Right. So you brought up an interesting point about the experts and, and all this stuff, this, this confusing stuff. You know, you look at the, the food pyramid and you hear one, one thing from one group of people, you hear something else from me and, you know, et cetera. Um, the fact is, is that a lot of the science that um, what we're hearing, like, for example, the, you know, that the food pyramid is based on uh, or that the idea that saturated fat is bad for you or and so on is incredibly weak. Mm. There, there was just very little ba- like, for example, the food period, the food pyramid, it, you know, it's put together by this committee mm-hmm. sitting there among whom, you know, are, are members of you know, t- with ties to food corporations, yeah. <laughs> including Coca-Cola sure, and so yeah. on. And, and they, they make this big compromise. But as far as the actual science, I mean, if, if, if you go, like, for example, if somebody tells you, oh, meat's bad for you, let, you know, so you look, you look at the science and you find out, number one, that it's all association. So mm-hmm. they just look at a whole bunch of people and they find, oh, the, the, you know, the people who ate more meat had worse health outcomes. Yes, yeah. Cannot prove causation. No. It's just an association. Mm. The second thing you find out is that the associations are incredibly weak. Okay. Um, you know, like, let me give you an example. When they figured out that smoking, caused, smoking cigarettes caused lung cancer, they did this with epidemiology, mm-hmm. right? You can't do a randomized controlled trial where you take a group of people and say, hey, you smoke cigarettes for 20 years and you don't, and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. No, they took people who had already been smoking or not smoking and looked to see what happened to them. And they found out that heavy smokers, heavy cigarette smokers had a rate of lung cancer up to 20 times that of non-smokers. Mm-hmm. That's that's huge. It it just in in this science of epidemiology, it does not get any huger than that. Sure. That that is that's massive. There, there's only one conclusion: smoking causes lung cancer. Mm-hmm. When you look at some of these meat studies, you find that say, um, oh, the the people who ate meat had a five percent increased risk of colon cancer. Yes, for example. So you find out that lifetime, lifetime risk, well, let me put it this way. You cannot draw any conclusions from that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is simply not big enough yeah. of an association. And there are things that, you know, delving deeper into it, you get into healthy user bias. So, mm-hmm. for example, over the last 30 years, they've been telling us to eat less meat. So we health conscious, the health conscious people among us have dutifully Mm -hmm. obeyed and we've eaten less meat and we've also smoked less, drank less alcohol, exercised more and so on. So we're healthier. Yeah. So what is, you know, what does that all mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to do that study properly, you would really want to take, okay, take, take a good vegan diet. Okay. Take a pretty as optimal as possible vegan diet and have people eat that and then have another group eat that with some steak and some chicken as well, right? That would be, right to me, like if, if someone could run that study 
and then show me, oh, okay, not eating the beef and not eating the chicken, people came out healthier, that then I'd be like, oh, okay, that seems pretty conclusive. But if you're just comparing someone who is eating at McDonald's four times a week and is eating cheeseburgers all the time and just eating all this garbage food, and you're then comparing it to someone who is eating like a good, you know, a decent vegetarian or vegan diet or something, and you're then saying, okay, that latter group is getting less uh, heart disease or less colon cancer. I'm kind of like, that's not that's not how you run a study. Like that's just super biased. I mean, right. on a basic level, I can see immediately what is what is wrong with that. Right? That's not a very non scientific. Right way of doing a so-called scientific study. Right. And and these very studies that you you just talked about have been done. Mm. So you'll find these studies of, you know, say vegetarians have better health. But then there have been other studies where they've taken the vegetarians and they've compared them to people who shop in health food stores. Okay. And there's no difference. Yeah. You know, people who shop in health food stores and eat meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's no difference. Yeah. So, um, in in you know, vegetarians are among those people who are likely to, you know, smoke less, exercise more, exactly. etc. Yes. You know, so healthy user bias. Yeah. No, it, it's really interesting because, you know, from a vegetarian or vegan perspective, I mean, I think there are some. I can certainly empathize with the ethical arguments. Right, like if someone is making an ethical argument for why they don't think somebody should eat meat, like I can, I can totally understand that. Whether or not I totally agree with it, you know, well, I don't. I, I used to agree with it more, of course. I used to be a vegetarian for ethical reasons. Um, I no longer am, but I can certainly empathize with those arguments. But when they come with the arguments about it being nutritionally superior, that is when I raise my eyebrows, especially when they start, you know pointing out to the handful of vegan athletes who look good or who are strong or whatever, lots of whom have been eating meat for like multiple decades before they became vegan, right. lots of them who are on steroids and performance enhancing drugs, etc. It's like, again, it, the, the bias is just so obvious. I'm like, look, that doesn't, you're not making a good point here. Pointing, pointing, linking me to one buff vegan bodybuilder who I can see is on steroids isn't gonna make me go oh okay that makes it's like you know like, it, it doesn't make sense you can you could probably find someone who eats five snickers bars a day and is ripped you know what i mean but that doesn't mean that eating six snicker bars a day is 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 optimal right right it, it's like there are other factors at play here yeah if you train super duper hard and your the rest of your diet is great and your training is really good and you're hitting progressive overload could you get Jack eating five Snickers a day? Yeah, you could. Right? It's, like, it's, like, it's like, yeah, you, you could. But it's not the Snickers that is doing the work, you know? Um, I don't know, but it's, it's super interesting. I'm just looking at the time, man. We've, uh, we've actually, uh, this has been a super interesting podcast. So I've, I've, I've been seeing the time being like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overrun the usual hour because this is, uh, if, okay. if I stop now, I'll be, I'll okay. be missing out. In terms of some things that people can who are listening to this and who have found it curious in terms of some things that they can sort of take away and ways that they can potentially adjust their diet or even their training to improve it based on your philosophy. What are, can you give us three things that you would recommend? 
Absolutely. So just, you know, just keeping it at a high level without, you know, without going into a lot of details, um, the, the overall thing that people should do for their health, um, the, the, the most important component of their health in terms of staying free from chronic disease is their body composition. And that is the amount of relative amount of muscle and body fat that mm -hmm. they have. If you have a, this goes for both men and women, if you have a relatively high amount of muscle and a relatively low amount of body fat, then you are metabolically healthy. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, I'm not necessarily at all talking about bodybuilder or athletic level or anything like that. I'm just talking about a good level. Mm -hmm. So, in my opinion, um, the, the three things everybody should do is, one, stop eating ultra-processed food. Um, this is the kind of food that we just talked about that is largely made of uh, refined grains in, in, in the West, Western world. We're most talking, mostly talking about flour mm -hmm. um, and sugar and seed oils. And they're, they have other ingredients, of course, too. And they're made by big food companies that come in boxes and bags in the middle aisles of your supermarket. And people just eat massive amounts of this. And, and fast food is in the same category. So that would be the number one thing. Eat whole, real food. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's number one. The second one is people should do resistance training mm -hmm. to uh, build muscle and, and retain muscle. Um, it's important for everybody, male or female, young or old, and because we lose muscle as we age. Also, people who are interested in losing weight, they, um, it is important to do resistance training to retain the muscle that you have when, when you lose weight. So basically, everybody should be doing this, in my view. Another thing um, we didn't really touch on here, but I, I'm sure you know all about it, is intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. So intermittent fasting is just practiced in it, at its most basic of not eating all the time, of going for a certain period of time without eating. For example, 16 hours is, is an intermittent fast. You, if you, you know, sleep time counts, you don't eat after dinner or whatever you call the evening meal over there in the UK. Um, <laughs> um, and don't eat till 10 o'clock the next morning. Mm -hmm. You've just fasted 16 hours. Uh, unfortunately, one of, one of the practices that has gotten us into a lot of trouble in, in our world is eating all the time. Yeah. So snacks and food are constantly available. It's real easy to get some takeout or go to a fast food place or just pull something out of your refrigerator or your cabinet and eat it. It's all right there. And so people eat all the time. And they should not do that, in my opinion. It doesn't have to be anything so formal as intermittent fasting, but just an awareness that um, two to three meals a day and no snacking is a much healthier way to look at things. Awesome. P.D. Mangan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Last thing, where can people find you online? Uh, thanks a lot, Zuby. Um, well, I'm very active on Twitter. Mangan150 is my handle. Um, I have a website, roguehealthandfitness.com. And uh, those are the two main places. That about covers it. Awesome, man. Really good to talk to you. Thanks a lot, Zuby. Appreciate it. Really good to talk to you too. Nice, man. Take care. Okay, you too. I am the man.
Sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me, destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang. Y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.